The other day I caught my kids doing something that is one of their favorite things to do that's always something that leads to howls of laughter. And that is looking at pictures of me from the 1970s. In these pictures, I have creepy-looking shaggy hair. I'm wearing silk-flowered shirts, oversized bow ties, and it's just embarrassing. And my kids say, Dad, what were you thinking? And all I can say is, hey, it wasn't just me. Believe me, everybody in the 1970s dressed like a disco clown. And to all of us who are old enough to... uh, have dorky pictures of ourselves from the 1970s, this should be a spiritual lesson. A spiritual lesson of how dangerous it is to follow the crowd. Before you know it, you're wearing a lavender leisure suit and platform shoes. (laughs) I was in high school in the 1970s, and those photos got me thinking about that period and how eager I was to fit in with my peers. And when I remember this, I say the same thing that my kids say when they see photos of me in platform shoes. I say, what was I thinking? I remember how I was in high school and, and trying to fit in with the big guys on campus and trying to impress the pretty girls in class. And I remember how eager I was to fit in, so eager that I would pretend to like things I didn't really like. I would say things I didn't really believe. I would go places I really didn't want to go. And now I go to my high school reunions and I see the same people now I was trying to impress then. And I say again, what was I thinking? Uh, Why was I so intimidated by these people? Why was I afraid of these people, especially now that I can see how these people turned out, especially now that I've seen uh, what time has done to these people? They are just old, old. And uh, I think about um, how foolish I was to conform myself to fit in with them. And there were those in my high school who were the really smart kids with the really high IQs, those who achieved perfect scores on their SATs. But when I see the unhappy mess that they have made of their lives now, it is clear that cognitive intelligence is not what determines true success in life. Uh, And this is not only true on the high school level, this is also true on the graduate school level. Harvard conducted a long-term study of its own students. They looked at entrance exam scores of students accepted into the Harvard Medical School, the Harvard Law School, and the Harvard Business School. And they took these exams, uh, which are designed to measure IQ, and they correlated these scores with how well the doctors uh, and lawyers and business professionals did in the course of their career. And you know what they found? Nothing. They found zero correlation. They found that a high IQ gives you no advantage in job success. But another study shows what does determine success. According to the results of a researcher, uh, Dr. Daniel Goleman, uh, whereas cognitive IQ 
contributes only about 15% to success on the job. 85% of career success is related to what he calls emotional or social intelligence, where social intelligence is being competent in such interpersonal skills as empathy and humility and listening and conflict management. And this is what we want to study today. Uh, we want to study the words of a man who demonstrates true social intelligence that comes from applying God's wisdom to his relationships. So would you please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And if you're using the Bible provided for you here at Fairfield, this should be on page 807. Today, we begin a series of messages on a chapter that gets to the core of a very important issue, the way we think. Most of us put our efforts into adjusting our behavior when that is a losing battle because our behaviors flow out of our minds. Our bad behaviors are the result of bad thought patterns, and our good behaviors are the result of good thought patterns. A God-pleasing life of true social intelligence and true success in God's eyes comes from filling our mind, filling your mind with God's wisdom, and then living out of your mind. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 1 Corinthians is a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in the Greek city of Corinth. Even though Paul was the founder, he planted this church and uh, he was the one who led many of the recipients of this letter to faith in Jesus. Some of these church members were voicing criticisms against Paul and talking behind his back. And Paul addresses these criticisms against him in the first chapter, uh, in, the, in the first verse of chapter 2, when he writes, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. What was the source of the criticism against Paul? Believe it or not, the criticism is summarized in those two words, human wisdom. Now, to understand this, I need to give you a little bit of background on the city of Corinth. The Greek city of Corinth was one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire and a city that we know a lot about. Uh, the reason we know a lot about the uh, ancient Corinthian city is because we can visit it today. Ancient Corinth is one of the few ancient sites that has been discovered and excavated to the degree that you can walk around it and imagine what it was like to live there 2,000 years ago. 
I've been to this site, and I can tell you from firsthand experience that we know a lot about this town of Corinth, and the background helps us understand what Paul was addressing in this letter to this church. For instance, we know that ancient Corinth was a proud city. Corinth was highly affluent and was very proud of its wealth and economic prosperity. Corinth was also the proud host of the Isthmian Games, which was uh, the most famous athletic contest uh, in the ancient world, second only to the Olympian uh, Games in Athens. Corinth was also the very proud uh, city proud of its abundant pleasures. I guess you could say that Corinth was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Uh, Corinth was known for its prostitution and X-rated lifestyle. And finally, Corinth was proud of its reputation for Sophia. Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. And our word philosophy comes from the combination of two Greek words, the Greek word for love and the Greek word for wisdom. And Corinth was loaded with philosophers who received high praise as lovers of wisdom who promised that their superior knowledge would solve their followers' personal problems. They promised that their followers would learn how to get richer and more powerful in life. And they promised that their followers would get ahead by learning how to gain the favor of the gods and how to triumph over their enemies. And these promises sound like wild claims, but they were made believable uh, because they came from teachers who were spellbinding orators with larger-than-life personalities. And just like the town of Corinth was proud of its reputation for Sophia, the church in Corinth was puffed up with that same pride and looked down on Paul because he was no philosopher. Corinth and its church saw itself as sophisticated. That's another term based on the word Sophia. And a term that describes what human wisdom does. It puffs up with pride. To the Corinthians, Paul was not sophisticated because Paul didn't come to the Corinthians making claims of his superior knowledge. In fact, Paul didn't promote himself at all. He promoted Jesus. Paul was not a powerful orator. And so the church looked down on Paul's speaking style. And if you look back one chapter uh, to chapter one, you'll see that many in the uh, Corinthian church liked another preacher better, a pastor named Apollos. But even more than his speaking style, the church critiqued what Paul spoke about. Paul didn't give them lessons about their potential for prosperity or other things that they loved to hear. 
In fact, Paul kept talking about the only part of the Jesus story that they really didn't care for, and that was the cross. They didn't like Paul's emphasis on the cross. As Roman citizens, they were embarrassed about Jesus' death on the cross because the cross was a disgusting device of execution only reserved for the worst criminals. But Jesus' cross was everything to Paul. And the truth of the cross became the centerpiece of Paul's response to the criticisms brought against him. Paul said that the real nature of the criticism against him uh, was not a style conflict. It was a worldview conflict. Paul argued that the conflict was the clash of two incompatible worldviews. He called human wisdom and God's wisdom. And these two types of wisdom are two opposite ways of thinking, of thinking about oneself, about one, one's uh, life, about others, and about relationships. And these two divergent thought patterns lead to two divergent approaches to life and self and relationships. And so let's contrast these two types of wisdom by starting with Paul's statement in verse 1. When I came to you, I did not come with human wisdom. What is human wisdom? Well, First, let me say today that uh, we're just going to begin to unpack Paul's understanding of wisdom. Uh, we'll be adding a lot more in the weeks to come. But as our starting point, look back to the end of the first chapter, if you would, uh, where Paul refers to human wisdom by saying in uh, verse 26, uh, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called to Christ. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And when you link this statement with the topics of criticism that the church brought against Paul, you get a good idea that uh, human wisdom was in Corinth and, uh, and today uh, like this. Uh, human wisdom measures a person's value based on their possession of certain status symbols and an impressive image. Uh, Human wisdom comes from and leads to a mindset. What mindset? Well, following human wisdom leads to the thought pattern. Promote self. Protect image. Project strength. And press advantage. The criticism of Paul is that he didn't follow human wisdom. Paul didn't try to impress people with his eloquence like the philosophers. Paul didn't try to spin his message uh, to please the power people. Uh, Paul didn't promote himself and then press advantage for his own selfish gain like the philosophers. In fact, Paul violated all the rules of human wisdom. Instead of promoting himself, 
Paul promoted Jesus. Instead of protecting his image, Paul was honest about his past and his failures and his present sins. Instead of projecting strength, Paul considered himself a humble servant. And instead of pressing advantage, Paul made tents so that he wouldn't have to be a financial burden to anyone. The Corinthian church criticized Paul, saying, What are you thinking? Paul, you have to power up on people so that people fear you. Then they'll listen to you. You have to craft an image of yourself that says that you have it all together. That you have all the answers and that you're unbeatable. Paul, you have to cut other people down in order to make yourself look good. And whatever you do, don't admit your faults. Don't apologize and don't forgive people or else everybody will think you are weak. Paul, what are you thinking? And that's just it. Paul doesn't act according to human wisdom because Paul doesn't think according to human wisdom. Paul has his mind filled with God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is Jesus and His cross. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, now back to chapter 1, uh, verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is Christ crucified, which is a much different worldview. What is it? God's wisdom measures a person's value based on the demonstration of God's love in the cross and his offer of new life in Christ. God's wisdom uh, emerges from and leads to a mindset. What is the mindset? Following God's wisdom leads to the thought pattern. Admit need. Adopt humility. Accept grace. Apply love. God's wisdom is a new way of thinking that leads to a new way of living. And this new way of thinking centers on the cross. As Paul says in verse 2 now of chapter 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him Crucified. The cross of Jesus teaches me how to think, how to think about God, about myself, and about my relationships. Because the cross of Jesus teaches me that God is perfect, but I am not. God's wisdom in the cross teaches me that I am full of fault and failure and that my only hope in this life and the next is for me to be honest about my need for cleansing through Jesus. And the cross teaches me how unclean I am. The brutality of the cross. Jesus bleeding and screaming in pain. 
demonstrates that I am not just a little flawed, but my sin nature is deep and dark and ugly. And thinking about my sin like this is good because it teaches me to think about my sin and teaching me that uh, the cross teaches me to abandon my attempts to impress people with an image of sophistication and perfection and superiority. God's wisdom sets me free to be authentic in my relationships. Thinking about my sin teaches me to be authentic about who I am and not pretend that I have it all together when I'm flawed like everyone else. Uh, Do you see how God's wisdom leads to true social intelligence? Um, We all crave meaningful friendship, meaningful relationships, but these relationships can only be built in a context of honesty. Have you ever tried to have a close friend with uh, someone who who won't open up, who won't admit uh, struggles, who won't be honest? That's human wisdom. Uh, And it's impossible to get close to someone with that mindset. In some deep ways, sincere friendship is built on weakness and not strength. And in verse 3, Paul says, I came to you in weakness. Paul lived by God's social intelligence that allowed him to come as he was, without pretense, without image, and without a phony front. And what about you? Don't you think it's time? Don't you think it's time to grow a little bit? By becoming more yourself, by becoming more honest about yourself? Uh, Don't you think it's time to get more honest with the people in your life about what you're really thinking and what you're really struggling with? Uh, More honest at home, uh, more honest here at church, uh, in this church, in our community groups. God has given us a safe place a safe environment to be authentic and to be genuine with each other. Take off the masks. So let's grow. Let's grow in that thought pattern so that we can experience the friendships that we crave deep down. But that's not all. God's wisdom sets me free from relationship-destroying pride. The cross saves me from the pride that The cross teaches me a kind of humility that is a foundation for true social intelligence. Humility teaches me the crucial skills of being humble enough to admit when I'm wrong. Humble enough to not judge people when they fail. And humble enough to forgive others as I have been forgiven in Christ. And all of this comes by filling my mind with the thought pattern taught by God's wisdom. Admit need, adopt humility, but that's not all. The cross also teaches me that despite my imperfections, God loves and accepts me completely and perfectly. Besides teaching me that I'm a sinner... The cross also teaches me that in Jesus, I'm totally forgiven. The cross teaches me that I am loved and accepted by God. 
And if I'm completely loved and accepted by God, then I'm set free from the thought patterns that destroy my soul and my relationships. If I adopt the thought pattern that I am totally loved and totally accepted by God, God's wisdom then sets me free from pandering for approval. You know, I mentioned how in high school um, I was I was kind of uh, obsessed with fitting in uh, so much so that I couldn't really be myself and uh, students, um, I would imagine that some of you are struggling uh, with this right now and you're tempted to be obsessed with the same thing. And so I challenge you to know nothing except the cross and adopt the thought pattern of God's acceptance and then be authentic, be yourself, be free from pandering for approval. Well, you know what? Most adults are running that same rat race of trying to maintain an image, uh, performing on the outside, wearing a mask so that uh, they can be seen as successful and liked and become accepted in their little group. Some here are so image conscious that outside of this church, no one even knows that you follow Jesus. If none of your non-churched friends or co-workers or neighbors know that you follow Jesus, don't you think it's time to be yourself? Don't you think it's time to know nothing except the cross and stop being a slave to opinion and start being yourself? But that's not all. God's wisdom also sets me free from the fear of rejection. When I adopt this thought pattern of God's love for me in the cross, I gain victory over my fears of rejection from people. But wait a minute, you say. What, what, about, what about what Paul says in verse 3 here? Paul says, I came to you with fear and trembling. Well, let's, let's, uh, well, we'll talk more about this another uh, time. But these words, fear and trembling, actually form a biblical idiom. Uh, an idiom is a phrase that carries specialized meaning from its original context. For instance, uh, the two words, happy meal. Uh, form an idiom in our American context. Uh, when you hear those two words, happy meal, you don't think of a joyful feast. Uh, you know it refers to brainwashed children uh, who beg for a $5 meal to get a 10-cent toy. Well, fear and trembling is an idiom. And in Paul's day, everyone knew that it referred to having a serious attitude of respect to God. So it's an idiom from Paul uh, that he uses in several of his letters. For instance, in Philippians, he writes to believers, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which refers to this attitude of serious respect uh, before God. 
So here in verse three, uh, through this idiom, Paul is not saying that he is afraid of people. He is saying the opposite. Paul is saying that he had no fear of human rejection because he was focused on pleasing God instead of people. Paul says that he was so focused on God's opinion of his life that people's opinion just didn't matter to him. But there's still more. God's wisdom sets me free from jealousy and bitterness and anger. I mentioned how the Corinthian church was uh, talking behind Paul's back and was berating uh, Paul's speaking uh, compared to the philosophers and uh, compared to Paul's fellow preacher, Apollos. Do you notice what Paul doesn't do in response? Paul doesn't react with jealousy or bitterness or anger. Paul doesn't lash out against the Corinthians. Paul doesn't stalk off with a ah, forget you attitude. Uh, Paul doesn't try to put down Apollos or slam his sermons. No. Paul doesn't act this way because he doesn't think this way. Paul knows nothing except the cross of Jesus. Paul's mind follows the thought pattern taught by God's wisdom. Admit need, adopt humility, accept grace, apply love. Paul's mind is filled with God's wisdom and he's living out of his mind. And that is a powerful way to live. Paul says, I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power that comes from God's wisdom and thinking God's way. Lately, I've been thinking about my thoughts and how every day, I am faced with decisions about whether I am going to follow human wisdom or whether I'm going to follow God's wisdom. And uh, this is an example I'll just share with you that I relate with Paul and and the criticism uh, that he received from the Corinthians. Uh, Being a pastor uh, makes me a target of criticism. I received a letter recently from a lady here at Black Rock. Uh, a letter that had its share of critique. Uh, This woman knows me well, and in this letter she wrote how uh, she knows how a lot of people uh, look up to me and think highly of me, but uh, how she knows things about uh, my past that would make those people pause. And uh, when it came to my preaching, well, she had heard better. Uh, Now, there are some letters like that that I just have to put aside, but... This is one I knew that I had to respond to. So I took out the paper and the pen and started the letter. Dear Mom, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, But I do get letters. Uh, I get painful criticism. I, I get people talking behind my back. And you know what? At some level, in some way, you know this too. You've experienced this too. You know this kind of pain. What Paul teaches me is that these occasions and these relational conflicts, whatever they may be, are chances for me to examine whether I am operating under human wisdom or God's wisdom. God calls me to think according to his wisdom so that I can act 
in demonstrations of His power. When I think with human wisdom, I become a powerless fool, consumed with my own pride, trying to maintain a false image of perfection that does nothing but destroy my relationships and isolate me from people that I love. When I think with human wisdom, I become a powerless puppet, dancing to please people and living paralyzed by the fear of being rejected by people I may not even know. But when I think with God's wisdom, I become powerful like Paul, humble enough to receive correction, but confident enough to be myself, weak with the knowledge of my sinfulness, but powerful with the knowledge that I am completely loved and accepted by God. Socially intelligent with the knowledge of nothing but the cross. Nothing but the cross sets me free from a life of pretension. Nothing but the cross sets me free to a life of power. Nothing, nothing, nothing but the cross of Jesus. Thanks. A little people approval. I'll take it every once in a while. But if you have criticism this week, this is a good time for a criticism, too. My head's in the right spot. So, would you please stand as we close?